This week, a president, a deputy president and a farm minister walk into a country show. No, it's not the start of a bad joke, but instead the start of some fascinating debate about the future of farming. Profitable food production is still at the core of all of our, most of our rural businesses. We need a bit of security, us farmers, because we're a long-term industry. uh, And the last thing I want to hear is farmers saying, I'm a little bit uh, lacking in confidence about the future and I'm going to stop investing in my business. We're now in the process of um, digesting all of those and working up the clauses of an agriculture bill. More from Tim Brightmere, Guy Smith and George Eustace in a moment. And news of an agricultural bill this side of summer. The Week in Agriculture. This is The Farming Programme with Sean Dunderdale. Good morning. The county show season is well underway. Nottinghamshire, Suffolk, Cambridgeshire, Devon, Rutland, they've all been and gone. And this week just gone was both the Lincolnshire show and the Highland show. Michael Gove was at the latter in the north, but remained one of the main talking points as well at the Lincolnshire, which is where I was, especially after effectively confirming there will be a British agricultural bill this side of Parliament's summer recess. More from George Eustace on that in a moment. First, Tim Brightmere, President of the Country Land and Business Owners Association. We were quite surprised that um, we felt the time frame was probably in the autumn or just leading up to Christmas. And um, uh, now it's been um, muted that there will definitely now be an agricultural bill before the summer recess uh, put before Parliament. And so uh, that's one big thing that has changed and demonstrates the uncertainty that... Uh, uh, we have to deal with down in Westminster. And as you say, you didn't see that coming, really, did you? You thought it would be later in the year? Well, originally, uh, to be fair to um, DEFRA, uh, they had timetabled it as that uh, six months ago. We felt with the negotiations and the withdrawal bill that was going on, uh, and indeed they signalled uh, that there would have to be a delay and it was more likely in the autumn. What, what will you hope will be in that bill when it is finally brought forward? I think people should, um, I think should beware that... The bill is going to give them a huge amount of detail. The bill is primarily designed to give the government the ability uh, to transfer into uh, the UK uh, the powers to run their own agricultural policy. So I think we will only see at this stage the very bare bones of a structure coming forward uh, uh, along which they can then work with transition. Over a period, as Michael Gove said to me on Friday... Uh, likely to be between five and seven years Uh, and and that equally is encouraging that's a bit of a change Uh, I think it's an acknowledgement of the length of time that the industry needs to move from where we are at the moment which is pretty dependent on a direct payment uh, to a future whereby uh, we are on a model of public goods uh, but we are hopefully with the support a government needs to give us in the interim uh, a more profitable industry um, able to provide the environmental benefit that he so desires. I say, and it is all, it seems to be all about the environment being the buzzword at the moment, isn't it? That's, that's what Michael Gove seems to be pushing at the moment. Yeah, I think um, we have to recognise the fact that those are seemingly the priorities that uh, uh, the public in our country would like us to look at from the point of view of land managers. Uh, they, they hear stories about um, biodiversity decline. Uh, I certainly wouldn't put that at the door of farmers. Um, climate change, urban pressure, um, population in the um, population going into the countryside. All of these are things uh, whereby humanity and biodiversity don't mix together. Uh, but it is certainly the direction of travel. And when we look at water, climate change, biodiversity. 
uh, all of these uh, are the priority for the government in the future. How are you finding it as president? Because, you know, you obviously took on the president last year, you were deputy president uh, be- before that, and you do keep getting these odd curveballs being thrown down again from the government, don't you? I mean, my one consistent um, uh, challenge is to get the government, both the department and the Secretary of State himself, to understand that actually profitable food production is still at the core of all of our, most of our rural businesses uh, and all of our farms, uh, because that is actually what drives the business. And uh, that is what we have to concentrate on to start with, so we can get to the utopia of the future, uh, where we have profitable farming alongside very, very meaningful environmental farming, as indeed we heard this morning when I presented the Grey Partridge Award to Blankney Estate. There you have a fantastic example of a really, really productive, profitable business uh, producing huge environmental gain as well. You were at um, Cereals, of course, this time last week, um, very much talking about the future of soils and, and how we've got to keep our soils healthy. I mean, we are, it's becoming critical that, isn't it? I mean, uh, I think the first thing I should say is that um, many farmers have very good soil um, and they pride themselves on the way they've farmed. Um, and, uh, and many of those, I suspect, will be here in Lincolnshire. Uh, productive agriculture is so key. However, nationwide, we have to accept the fact that our soils are losing their quality and we are losing some of the topsoil as well. And there are practices out there across the nation whereby we are damaging the soil structure and we are losing the nutrient value within it. And that is something that I think the government are determined to address and we must recognise that. Because actually, good healthy soil delivers a huge amount for the environment and for the nation as a whole. Productive agriculture, we know that better soil produces much better productive agriculture, as many people here in Lincolnshire will, uh, will indeed share. But also it produces much more nutritious food. And this is a very point I am very, very strong on, in the fact that if we can get more nutrient out of the food we produce into the food chain, then the average human being will actually have to eat less to take the nutrition on board that the human body needs. And that in turn feeds through into um, the amount that we spend in the National Health Service on food eating disorders and obesity. 60 to 70% of the National Health Service budget is spent on that. Water retention, if we have better organic soil, we retain that very scarce resource called water that much better. And finally, organic carbon content in the soil is the best climate change sequestration agent in the country. 186 tonnes a hectare for forests, 70 for conservation agriculture, tonnes a hectare, and a ploughed field will retain only 30 tonnes a hectare of organic carbon. That is a strong argument for soil being a public good within our new land management contract that the CLA is meeting going forward. Tim Brightmere of the CLA. Now, he mentioned at the start that message from DEFRA Secretary Michael Gove of an agricultural bill sooner than many had believed. Is it coming in the next few weeks? One man in the know is Farm Minister George Eustace. That's the intention. We've um, we had our consultation. We had a huge number of responses, um, 44,000. We're now in the process of... Um, digesting all of those and working up the clauses of an agriculture bill and the uh, intention at the moment is to probably introduce that before the summer recess before the end of July and then it will be debated in earnest when Parliament returns in the autumn. 
it's a crucial time of course for agriculture talking about you know health of soils um, water so many different areas and of course Brexit coming as well um, uncertain times what certainty can you give to our listeners well the certainty we're trying to give farmers is first of all there will be a transition period and we're not going to do anything suddenly we've been very clear that we will uh, move probably over a period of at least five years from the system we've got to the system we want to get to but we think that ultimately the the current system of just arbitrary payments based on land area subsidy payments doesn't really make a lot of sense and it would be better if we uh, kept that budget but directed it to deliver outcomes for our environment in terms of improved soil health water quality uh, measures that might uh, improve air quality give us the infrastructure to manage farmyard manures and slurries better than we do today so i think we want to divert that money so that it's really delivering a productive profitable agriculture um, that um, is more sustainable for our environment minister george eustace it'll be interesting to see what's in that actual bill one to watch and certainly it will mean even more lobbying of mps over the summer and through harvest ahead of any debate in parliament in the autumn minette batters of the national farmers union is meeting the prime minister to press home the case of british agriculture so what will she be telling Theresa May? My next deputy is Guy Smith. I think we've been saying this for a bit of time now, but I think we're very conscious that this government are about to start taking some really important decisions uh, that could impact on our industry, agriculture and food for a generation. And if we get it wrong, it couldn't be more serious. Uh, and so strong, effective political representation of our industry, which Manette does so well, um, couldn't be more important than it is now, and it's good that she's going into number 10. You've got the Your Harvest campaign as well, which is, again, about getting politicians, not you going to them, but them coming to you. Yeah, hey, look, and politicians love a photo opportunity, and what's not better than sitting in a con- combine cab or, or next to a baler at a, at a busy time of year? And, you know, I fully understand some farmers say, oh, come on, Smithy, don't you know um, I've got things to do, I can't be talking to the local MP. All I say is, look, if you're ever going to have a conversation with an MP, now's a good time to do it. Uh, And, you know, harvest time really exemplifies our industry sort of working at peak load, but what it does best, it brings in a food supply that looks after a nation for a year. And the key point, I think, Sean, is a lot of that harvest we're bringing in uh, in the next few months, it may well be sold and processed after March next year so we're already in a brexit world uh, and we need mps to understand uh, that they need to think carefully about the decisions they make that will impact on our industry in terms of regulation in terms of support in terms of trade Uh, but they also need to understand we need a bit of security us farmers because we're a long-term industry uh, and the last thing i want to hear is farmers saying i'm a little bit uh, lacking in confidence about the future and i'm going to stop investing in my business that would be disastrous and that's what must not happen. On social media you've been saying the first farmer to get Michael Gove on a combine you'll give him a little prize. Do you think you're going to see him on a combine this harvest? As I, and I, as you, I expressed it rather badly. I said the first person to put Michael Gove in a combine <laughs> and of course we mean in the cab Absolutely. Uh, and we would treat Michael Gove with proper respect. I've met Mr Gove several times and he's very personable, very polite uh, and he appears to listen uh, and I, I think he does take it in. I think we've got him back from a place where it was all about environment and it was good to hear him at the three 
Three Counties show uh, last week saying that he fully recognised that a healthy environment is best delivered through profitable farm businesses producing food. I think this is the right point of emphasis. It's about food and profit uh, and then environment that way round. And, you know, and, and as your listeners know, uh, that it's uh, people that manage the land on their ground at the end of the day will have to deliver on environment, but they need to be successful farmers first and foremost. That's Guy Smith, Deputy President of the National Farmers Union. And more on the Your Harvest campaign as well as we get closer to harvest itself. In a moment, John Smith of Louth Tractors also met George Eustace this week. So what did he have to tell him? You know, the Lincolnshire show is is a bit like a live version. It's the ideal home exhibition of the farming programme because all the regular voices that you hear here on this programme appeared in person there, including uh, our agronomist Sean Sparling. He was in the main ring uh, doing a couple of commentaries. Uh, including the livestock parade. Uh, morning, Sean. I bet you're tired, aren't you? Yes, morning, Sean. Yes, I'm absolutely worn out. It was it, two very, very good days at the show. Again, beautiful day on Wednesday. Little bit cooler, but still warm out of the wind. <coughs> Excuse me. On Thursday, and uh, absolute honour again. Done a bit of commentating. Did the livestock parade as I usually do, and we normally have a machinery parade with agricultural vehicles. This year, we decided to because we're celebrating a hundred years of the RAF. It was more of a military parade. And we had two very, very special guests, actually. A fellow called Harry Parkin and another chap called Arthur Atkinson, who were both stationed in Lincolnshire during World War Two, and who both flew Lancaster bombers. Um, it, quite extraordinary. Between them, they flew 78 missions, 78 missions in Lancaster bombers. And I think the average expectancy for anybody to survive was seven or eight at best. And uh, Harry Parkins, or Hackney Harry, as he was called, uh, or known as his nickname in the war, he flew 45 missions in Lancaster bombers. And when I was talking to him about it, he said, well, only 35 of them were bombing raids, as if that was, you know. So to me, it's people like this that should be getting OBEs, CBEs, knighthoods, rather than footballers. But anyway, that's just me. What two wonderful, wonderful men still live here in Lincolnshire and bright as a button, and we owe an awful lot to these people. It was an honour to have been asked to commentate on that parade. So let's move on to agronomy then. Some things starting to draw to a close, other things still very much current. So let's start with the drawing to a close. Winter wheat, winter barley, we're largely out of it now. Um, And as I've said before, any fungicide you apply after the first 48 hours of flowering will do absolutely nothing to control any fusarium which is in the crop. All you will achieve is a top-up of foliar disease control. So if rust moves in or septoria is there, then you can top those up. But just be very, very careful with the timings because a lot of them have cut-off timing, so latest safe use dates within that flowering period and nearly every um, single chemical we use has to stop by the time you get to early milky ripe. So just make sure that you are safe and legal uh, because it's a residue thing on the grain and you don't want to put something on late just for the sake of doing it and find that you get residues and you exceed the MRLs once you try and sell it. So for legal reasons, make sure you are safe. Same goes with herbicides. They have cut-off timings in spring spring barley and they have them for a reason and it's a residue issue so just make sure that you are safe make sure because these crops are moving so quickly through the growth stages it's going to be very easy to get caught out on some of them spring barley quite a lot of abiotic spotting quite a lot 
of what appears to be ramillaria, particularly in the crops which are second or third spring barleys in the same field. But chlorthalonil included is about the only thing we have for ramillaria control, and it helps with it's a multi-site inhibitor. It'll help with the abiotic spotting as well. Generally speaking, they look pretty good, but only time will tell whether they're going to fill properly and finish properly because they did go in rather late this year thanks to a very, very unhelpful spring, as we all know. And there are blind sites out there. Some varieties worse than others. The frost will be the main culprit, I think. Um, But we can only do what we can do and we can only wait and see what happens when harvest finally gets here. Now, as far as things still going, grass weed control in sugar beet is probably the big thing at the moment. Broadleaf's largely under control. And remember, not everything is equal. So, for example, when you're dealing with cooch, Centurion Match Clethodim is not brilliant on cooch, so you might need to just think about your programme a little bit more um, and use the right products for the job. And as we keep saying, spring beans, peas, just watch the disease. Downy mildew starting, well, it will do its blight weather. And while we're talking about blight, if you're a potato grower, for goodness sake, keep those seven-day intervals up. Thank you, Sean. Sean Sparling, Sparling Agronomy Services. Also at the show in the week, the team from Open Field, Chris, Kit and Rebecca. And indeed, it's Kit Dickinson with the news on grain and oilseed rape this week. One of the main points to note this week are Trump's China tariffs, which are creating an unknown export environment. And even more of an unknown is the policy decision process. Extreme volatility throughout the US agricultural complex and the soybeans are trading 65 cents down on Wednesday at one point, but recovered to a 40 cents from there. All markets have recovered well off lows, including the Matif, which is now back up two points. The bounce comes after comments made by one of the top trade advisers to the Trump administration, stating they are working on measures that will have the backing of all of their farmers. As always, light on details, but the market has responded to the perceived support of the US farmers. Drier conditions in France seem to be easing concerns over damage to crops, although there are still concerns in France over logistics, with talk of rail strikes some shifting exports to Germany and potential inland regions having bigger than normal old crop stocks. Locally, crops are coming on well, but there are concerns over a hot, dry weather forecast for next week, and there is no rain on the forecast for the next 10 days. The oilseed rate market is quiet, with little old crop volumes being traded. New crop has some interest from crushers, but limited volumes at the minute on the back of the US-China trade talks. Potential harvest pressure to come through, with a lack of export opportunity, putting pressure on stores and the local domestic market. Barley. Southern France has started harvest with early reports indicating good on yield and quality. UK winter barley is looking very good and enjoying the current weather conditions, but causing some concerns on spring barley, especially with such a variation of growth stages from a wet drilling period this spring. The old crop bean market has been very quiet with little activity in the market. The majority of crops are looking well and reports are coming in of high potential for winters this year. Again, there are concerns over spring beans with the dry period ahead. Prices this week. Wheat, old crop for July is 157 to 160. New crop as available off the combine, 153 to 155. November 18, 156 to 159. New crop premiums are in the region of 14 to 17 pounds dependent on area and quality. All seed rape old crop July 285 to 290. New crop as available 290 to 295. November 18, 300 to 310. Barley old crop July 132 to 135. 
New crop as available, 133 to 135. November, 137 to 140. Premiums for winter barley are 15 to 20 pounds, and spring barley premiums are circa 25 to 30 pounds. Old crop beans for July, 158 to 162. And new crop November 18, 163 to 167. There are currently no human consumption premiums available. Thank you, Kit. Kit Dickinson from Open Field. Earlier we heard from Farm Minister George Eustace and that pledge of an agricultural bill to be published before the summer recess. Just before my chat with the Minister, he'd been speaking with John Smith of Louth Tractors, someone who's never one to shy away from telling it like it is. Uh, We were just uh, talking about farm structure and a few ideas that we're working on and uh, he's obviously casting around for ideas in the industry and has just made a promise to... um, be in touch and uh, probably take it a little bit further. Good opportunity, isn't it, to get the message across, really, said the Minister? I think so, and not defending him um, without condition, but these guys do work in a very difficult environment. 44,000 responses, how do you distill that into a common policy? And it'll only happen if we keep having conversations and keep in contact. But I just think, I can't speak for the other man, but George Eustace always seems to be a man who engages... He's from farming roots, he's got a farm background in the southwest. He seems to know a bit about what he's talking about. And how are things at the minute in, in agriculture, would you say? I mean, we've got Mike, Michael Gove talking about, well, minimum tillage. We talked about the farming programme last week and that kind of thing. How, what, what's your take on what you're hearing? Hmm, it's a bit mixed. It, it sort of ebbs and flows. We've had a reasonable year on machinery sales. There's certainly more interest in bigger machines, such as a quad track, where people are considering joint ventures. Uh, so... There is, and there has been for some time now, interest in Mintil, but I don't know if it's any stronger this year. I think a lot of the proposals are a long way from being actuals. So there's a lot of talk. You know, Michael Gove suggesting he may well subsidise or pay, not using that word, people to uh, sort of start Mintilling. Well, that would be the wrong reason to go, unless you were actually rewarded for carbon credits or whatever. Just to reward people for going Mintil or direct drilling just won't work. So it's patchy. It's patchy. And of course, we're all about the environment at the minute as well, aren't we? That seems to be the, the buzzword this year, definitely. Oh, it's a fabulous political move because everybody in the country is in, interested in the environment and, rightly or wrongly, there's not quite so many people interested in farming and farmers. So he, he's a shrewd, shrewd man. He knows what he's doing. And, of course, the, the environment is really important. But we need to be able to sell it. If we've got higher environmental standards than some of our competing countries, everybody needs to know. Otherwise, no gain. And you feel there are opportunities there within that environmental brief? Oh, yeah, very much so. Certainly, our own cattle enterprise relies on, um, as you've just put it, the environmental brief. Three things that go together. Keeping cattle on uh, in a narrowable rotation, an, uh, an environmental support payment for lack of fertiliser and pesticides, and cattle that are sort of low maintenance. So you get a really high-quality product at the end that's got, got a good story. So, yeah, yeah, I'm quite keen on this road. I read an article you wrote recently about bioplastics, that that could be a real opportunity for those in farming as well. Ah, right. Well, I'm glad somebody reads my articles. (laughs) I'm the one. Yeah. Um, Well, I do. You know, when you see the figures, and they're all on... You know, it's a sort of um, late night looking for bits and bobs, much like you do for a story. And this bioplastics sort of subject is top of the tree at the moment. All these statistics are out there about how to make where they can come from they're probably not 
as economical as we think they are. But plastic's a huge thing. I can't remember my article now, but I think it's 40,000 square miles of cropped land in Europe could produce products for plastic. So in that way, it's a huge opportunity for, for agriculture to get on board. And that's what we need to do, really, don't we? We've got to embrace this. You know, if change is coming, we've got to embrace the change. And that's what agriculture always does, in yeah. fairness. Yeah, got to go with it, try and have a bit of vision, try and see what's coming. You can't have a crystal ball, but it's pointless fighting a rearguard action about what's gone. You can only move forward. John Smith of Louth Tractors speaking there in the sunshine at the Lincolnshire Show. Now, there's been talk of a heatwave heading our way. Is that all tabloid hype, though? I mean, it's, it's just summer, isn't it? <laughs> What's the weather for the week ahead? The Farming Programme. Five-day forecast. Well, it certainly is going to warm up, and by the latter end of the week, we could be nudging 28, maybe 30 Celsius. A few days away yet, we'll see. Today, uh, plenty of cloud. We're looking at highs of around 22 uh, Celsius, certainly early 20s. Uh, the wind from the west southwest at about five miles an hour. Overnight tonight starts cloudy, but clear skies come tomorrow morning. A bit muggy, 13 the low. The wind, again, from the west-northwest at about 5 miles an hour. Then it's a sunny Monday ahead. Warmer temperatures, 24, 25 Celsius. The wind more from the north at about 5 miles an hour. Bit of clouds early evening, uh, but clearing again by Tuesday morning. We're looking at lows of around 11 Celsius. The wind barely noticeable from the east-southeast, uh, 2 to 5 miles an hour. And then another sunny, warm Tuesday, highs of 23. The wind continuing from the east at about 10 miles an hour. Clear skies Tuesday into Wednesday. Temperatures nearer 10. The wind continuing from the east at about 5 miles an hour. And then another sunny Wednesday, Uh, Tops in their early 20s, the wind continuing from the east, a bit more around 15 Celsius. That's the forecast. It's the Royal Norfolk show this week, uh, keeping the show theme going. And of course, by the next time we speak, it'll be July. So that means both the Great Yorkshire show and the country's largest one-day agricultural show at Driffield will be getting ever closer as well. Of course, the Heckington show too, the uh, country's largest village show. That's coming as well. Uh, Enjoy the Norfolk if that's on your agenda this week. I'll chat some more next week at the usual time. Until then, enjoy the last week of June.